It's time for episode 281 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February 13th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's twice as efficient as 60 Minutes. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host, Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. How are you doing? I was doing fine until you made me do math. Uh, it was my understanding that there would be a very, very small amount of math, which is, you know, division by two. So I assume you can handle that. Fine. 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 I'll do my best. All right. This is, of course, the tech show where we talk to two fantastic guests about four tech topics. To my left this week... It is the co-director of App Camp for Girls. I think first time we've had her on since that new prestigious position, along with the proprietress of App Launch Map and the host of Originality. It is Aline Sims. Welcome back, Aline. Hi, Dan. I like how you have two different announcer voices for the two different parts. It's like I'm listening to two different people. It's amazing. I, You know, I always wonder if anybody was going to catch that. I think you may be the first person to remark upon it. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Aline, bless you for pointing that out. I've wanted to do that since I've been on this show as, <laughs> as co-host, and I just have never said anything. I was like, this is Dan doing his thing. I can't mess with it. Bless you. I am happy to say that to my left is one of the hosts of Accidental Tech Podcast and one of the hosts of Analog right here on Relay FM, and also this the one person who hedges more than I do. <laughs> it is Casey Liss. How are you doing, Casey Liss? I think I'm doing well, but it may be too soon to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's kick things off. I've got the first topic today. Uh, the news going around, Apple reputedly wants 50% of subscription revenue for its new magazine subscription service that it's supposed to be launching at some point soon. With like 50% of the revenue from all the money that the publishers bring in. Publishers, obviously, not thrilled about that. Uh, and that, frankly, seems like a ludicrous amount. So my question is, is that, A, a ludicrous amount? And B, is it maybe time to even think the 70-30 subscription split, which Apple has dialed back a little bit on, but perhaps there's still stuff to be done there? Aline, what do you think? Yes and yes. <laughs> all right, moving on. <laughs> I, I just, you know, Apple has how many hundreds of billions of dollars in liquid assets right now um, in a time where media is struggling, when we're seeing layoffs left and right, when um, especially local news sources are really struggling to make ends meet and pay on local reporting and uh, not to get blatantly political, but democracy really depends upon having a free, a free press, free journalism where people can express things and if they can't get paid then people can't be journalists and i think it's vitally important that the subscription split be lessened um i was super excited for app subscriptions when they went to second year subscriptions being 15% um that apple takes instead of 30 uh i think that that should be global i think they could even take less than than 15% i understand they have shareholders to appease and employees to pay. But I really think it's vitally important that um, specifically for magazine and news subscriptions that we enable them to exist. And the only way they can exist because we live in a capitalistic society is by having money. It's just the way it works right now. 
Wow, if you cut to a live shot of me while anyone was speaking, you'd see me with my hands in the air saying, Amen, Amen, because I agree <laughs> with everything Aline said. Uh, this is <sighs> troublesome because, it, I don't know, in the last three, four weeks, just every single week, we're seeing a new person saying, Hey, I've been laid off from this journalistic yep. uh, position or, you know, or this, this outlet or this outlet or this outlet. And I feel for all of my fellow journalists who are dealing with that as a person who is also freelance at this point. And it is the, the, the shift of the way that money is working is, uh, it continues to be terrifying and it also continues to be disheartening. Uh, it, it's, kind of horrible to see how we've got, you know, owners of these different journalistic outlets sort of welling up their cash and saying, well, we just got to keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. And it's not helping anybody. And so for a huge company like Apple to come in and say, all right, let's do 50% of that. And also, we're going to throw in a bunch of other things. It is it's it's troublesome. Uh, the one thing that I'm happy about in all of this is Apple's you know staunch desire, I guess, uh, to to keep folks' privacy protected. But at the end of the day, if no one is able to get paid, then no one is going to be making this content at a level that it should be you know made and held to. So. Ugh. <laughs> You know, I just, how much juice can you really squeeze from a rock, mm. right? Like, mm. I mean, there's, there's, I don't know a lot of people that are, that are abundantly enthusiastic about paying more, ever more subscription fees. I'm not saying subscriptions are necessarily bad or wrong. It's just, I think that we are all fearful of, and if not approaching subscription fatigue. And so I don't know that if I were a news outlet, I would be too particularly keen on signing off of half of my revenue just because it's Apple. Like, th this is not, you know, the mid to late 90s with iTunes anymore. And I just don't see how this is going to somehow save the day. I think it's preposterous they want 50% of the subscription revenue. And I echo what you guys said, that 70-30 is obnoxious and borderline straight up hostile at this point. That being said, this is Apple. None of this will ever change. And it's the same as it ever was. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I agree with a lot of what you guys have expressed. Uh, what's fascinating to me is there was a report uh, last fall by a writer at Slate talking about what Apple News was already bringing in, which is to say a lot of traffic, but basically zero money. So there is an option here. You know, I, I can see this as Apple being kind of like, well, now you get some money and some money's better than none, right? <laughs> as their <laughs> negotiating position. And I can see why it would be potentially attractive. But I agree that 50% seems, seems ludicrous for the services that Apple is providing there. Because the, you know, sort of the nominal reason for the cut and for Apple in the first place is that it's providing the infrastructure and the payment systems, etc. And when you have ongoing subscription stuff, it seems like there's just not as much for Apple to provide in the way of infrastructure or all those other overhead things. So it seems like at a certain point after the initial outlay, like they're just raking in a ton of money for not providing much in the way of additional services. But yeah, 50-50 is is just it's flat out ludicrous uh thanks for your thoughts on that let us go to our second topic which comes from aline so kind of similarly talking about revenue um according to analysis done by sensor tower and this was reported by TechCrunch and then picked up by other places the average iphone user spent 79 dollars on apps and subscriptions in 2018 
And this is up significantly from previous years. Um, most of the money was spent in the games category because everybody's like, oh, people just buy games. Um, but it was purchased, <laughs> spent in the games category. But um, entertainment, lifestyle, other app categories also saw high growth percentages. And so my question to you is, does this bode well for app developers? And aside from the 70-30 split, who is seeing this money? When we're talking about sort of how this uh, speaks to app developers, I have actually noticed in recent, I would say, I don't know, last few months or so, uh, less complaining among people that that I that I physically know in real life uh, about paying for different things in apps a lot of the time unfortunately it's like a new dance move in some game or uh six extra coins so i don't have to wait 45 minutes to play whatever game but those complaints seem to have gone down and so i used to all the time i would send a link um to a, a family member or friend who was, you know, oh, I really want to do blank on my iPhone, or I, I want a better version of blank. And then they would say $3.99. And then I would proceed to lecture them about how developers need to be able to feed their pet chickens. And if you don't buy apps, and they can't feed their pet chickens, because they don't have any money for those chickens, and you don't want to make chickens starve, do you? And I have not had to bre- I have not had to whip out the pet chickens recently. <laughs> Uh, people are buying <laughs> buying apps more often and complaining less about it. So perhaps this bodes well, but we'll see. You know, I echo you know kind of the the actual question that Aline was asking, which is where is this money going? You know, from all of my friends that are independent app developers, I can't say that I've heard them you know kvetching and, and complaining about how much li- or how little money they're making. But I don't see them, you know, making it rain either. And so it doesn't seem like there's been a particularly strong, you know, tailwind or whatever in, in, in increasing their revenue. So where is this money going? I would assume it's all going to games and whatnot. But, you know, the what Alina said is that it's not exclusively games. So I don't have the faintest idea. I, I don't feel like regular plain old apps are really making any more money than they ever were before. But maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And and I certainly hope that people are understanding that a $5 app that you'll use for a year or two is probably worth more than the $3 soda you bought at dinner last night, you know, but hmm. who is seeing this money? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with Micah's point that I feel like the resistance to people buying apps has gone down as it's become just a, a part of life. Um, and so I think that that plays a, a part of this. And to a certain degree, there's like a rising tide lifts all boats effect where people are just willing to shell out more for things. But I think the lifestyle stuff too, like a lot of the lifestyle entertainment stuff, the kind of things that people pay for, I feel like are things that are not necessarily high in terms of incremental cost for those companies to deliver. Uh, so there's probably a lot of hashtag brands making some money off this thing. Um, but overall, as Casey said, it's not like people are, you know, it's not the gold rush atmosphere that we had in the early days. But I also don't think it's as dire as people have expressed it being at some point in the past. It does seem like the App Store is at least semi-sustainable in terms of the the economy that it's developed. And I hope it continues that way. I hope that trend line continues with people being just more willing to pay money for things. I think certainly... 
you know, having the ease, ease of integrated payment on most of these devices now has just become something that people are really comfortable with. I know Apple Pay itself isn't directly something that you use to pay for apps, but the fact that people are very accustomed to now paying for things with their phone it sort of translates into paying for things on their phone. Um, so there's, I think there's an effect there as well. It's, it's an interesting combination of factors. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that at least it does seem to be stabilizing a bit now that we've hit kind of, you know, a decade of people buying apps. Yeah, and Sensor Tower has done this, these analyses for several years now. I forget when they started. And the, the amount of money spent per iPhone um, has increased uh, not steadily, like greater than steadily, but not exponentially. I don't know what the word is for that. I think I think it does bode well, and I think it's still going to be hard to be an independent developer making a living on the App Store. And my concern is that the who's seeing who's seeing this money piece is going to the big players already. It's going to. I don't know, Netflix, it's going to Adobe, it's going to Microsoft subscriptions. That's that's my concern is that it's people buying into the big corporations. They're buying apps from the big corporations because I need Photoshop on my iPad or whatever. But it, it, it's it's that rather than, you know, the small smaller indies, smaller apps, more niche apps making more money. I think it's going to continue to be interesting to see how all of this bears out over the next several years. And we will be watching. Well, of course, that is two topics down, which means it is halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode of Clockwise is brought to you by our friends at FreshBooks. Everyone likes to save time, but it's especially important when you're a freelancer. I can totally vouch for that. Our friends at FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours with their super simple cloud accounting software for freelancers. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. And it's got a brand new notification center that's like your personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since you last logged in and what needs to be dealt with pronto. When you email a client and invoice, FreshBooks can even show you whether they've seen it or not, which puts an end to those guessing games that are so frustrating for freelancers just looking to get paid. If you are listening to this and you're not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this very show. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to FreshBooks.com slash clockwise and enter clockwise in the how did you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Halftime is over, Micah. I hope you are ready to kick us off here. So ready. Amazon announced its plans to acquire the router maker Eero. Some folks are understandably concerned about this. Others have dozens of Amazon Echoes spread throughout their houses and are not so concerned about this. I am just curious, where do you stand on this particular instance and also about large companies acquiring small companies and making them part of large companies? So I recently did an internet speed upgrade at my house, and I've been telling everyone I know about it because I'm excited. And in fact, my, next, my, my question relates to that. We'll get to that in a minute. But I bring this up because I no longer have to use the router that came with um, my internet service, and now I can choose whatever router I want. And I chose Eros. Now, to be fair, they were comped because they've sponsored some of the shows I'm on. But I love these things. I really, really do. They're really great. And I was definitely disappointed to hear that Amazon had purchased the company because it stands to reason that Amazon is going to want to slurp up all that data. And I think what remains to be seen is, are they going to slurp up that data? And if so, how? And we talked about this on ATP 
But basically, if they're taking the data in aggregate, that doesn't necessarily bother me that much. Like of, of all the Eero households, what percentage of them have a Switch? Or even what percentage of them have a Nintendo Switch and a PlayStation 4? And, and if they're just looking for like percentages and things like that, you know, fine, whatever. But if they're trying to slurp up all of the specific websites I go to and, and, and things of that nature, that's super creepy. And I will be finding a different router if that's the case. For now, I'm okay with what's going on with Amazon, but I am definitely uh, keeping some very serious side eye on both the Eero now and my Echo. I think to to your point, Micah, about larger corporations scooping up smaller ones, that's one of the things that kind of gets me with this. And I couldn't quite put my finger on what bothered me about this. And I started thinking about it a little bit more and realized that sort of your router, at least for a lot of the technically savvy people who, who you know set up their own router and maintain it, it feels kind of like that's your front door uh, to your house or like your, your internal network, right? And so you kind of feel protective about it because you want to feel like I have control over this thing that you know manages all the other traffic on my network and yes there's always going to be some information that's siphoned off if you have devices that are trying to collect information like your echoes or whatever that it's not entirely under control but like it still gives you at least an illusion of i am putting this barrier in place that lets me figure out how uh, how information is transacted you know from my local network to the internet at large and handing the keys to that over to a larger company feels uncomfortable because so much of what we do is about battling those larger companies to prevent them from getting that data uh, and even if amazon is not immediately in the market for collecting all this information eh, as casey said at some point they are going to have an interest in that because that is kind of what they do. Um, so it certainly makes me less likely to look at something like an Eero uh, in the future, especially as I keep an eye on it. Uh, but it also makes me super sad because my current router is an airport extreme and someday that will stop working and I will <laughs> not have anything to replace it with. I have the security concerns. Um, Casey, I think you articulated it really well that... You know, if it gets to a point where Amazon is slurping up everything so that they can make more informed recommendations for items on their website, um, you know, that's a concern. Anyone collecting a lot of data about me, I don't love, even though it's happening everywhere all the time. Um, I mean, I use Google. They know everything. Um, but <laughs> my concern is that in the future... We're going to have four companies in the world. It's going to be Amazon, Microsoft, <laughs> Apple, and Google. And everybody's going to work for one of those four entities. And that will be our lives. And I'm being hyperbolic. I know that. But every time someone else, another company, is acquired by one of these big tech companies, I'm concerned because competition breeds innovation. And I'm worried that we're going to get stuck eventually. And it's just not healthy um, from an, I don't know, like an economic standpoint for us to rely on one company for everything we need. It's just, it feels kind of big brother creepy to me. Maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. Um, so that, that's one of my, that was my second thought. My first thought is I'm glad I don't have an era because I don't want Amazon knowing everything about me. My second thought was what about competition and innovation? Wow. Yes. Competition and innovation. Um, I like the idea of companies being able to do more with more resources always. I think that that's a, a cool and good thing. And I've been happy with Eero. Um, I, too, have an Eero set up in my house. I, too, it was, it was comped. Um, it 
has been great, uh, genuinely like one of the best routers I've ever had, um, and the system works well. And I have seen some people complain about Eero Plus, but I quite like it. Um, and that was actually the thing that I was worried about when I heard about this acquisition. Uh, and I immediately reached out to Eero support and have not heard back to this point. Uh, I assume that's because they were you know flooded with a lot of support requests, but. With Eero Plus, if you pay for the subscription service, it's like, I think, 10 bucks a month. Not only do you get some cool features built into the thing, but you also get a free family subscription to 1Password, a free subscription to EncryptMe VPN, and if for some reason you think you need it, a subscription to Malwarebytes, all for free. And that was the thing that I could see the acquisition taking away. And as it stands, I don't have to worry, again, talking about subscription overload, I don't have to worry about those two, the encryption and the uh, password subscriptions as separate things because it's all covered with Eero, plus I get some other cool, fun things. So mostly I worry about, obviously, the privacy aspects and seeing how the privacy policies will change. I have, as of late, been digging into privacy policies every time I'm presented with a new one instead of just accepting them. Um, and so I'm not looking forward to the inevitable email that says, hey, here's what's uh, what's changed about our privacy policy. All right, that takes care of my topic. Let's move on to the last topic, which comes from Casey. So as I mentioned earlier, I recently got a speed upgrade at the house. Uh, for my internet and it got me thinking to back in like the late 90s we were one of the first houses that i knew of that had a cable modem and i don't remember what the speed was but it would the the effective download speed was probably measured in hundreds of kilobytes or maybe a megabyte a second and then fast forward to the late 2010 or the late 2000s late aughts and we were moving into the house that we're in now and and at the time i was overjoyed to have 15 megabit symmetric, mind you, but 15 megabit uh, Fios. And it got me thinking, what are some technologies like my cable modem that at the time just blew your friggin' mind and now are laughably bad compared to, you know, the, the ever, the ever increasing march of progress. Uh, I, in college spent $400 of my own hard earned money to buy a handspring visor. Uh, which, if you remember, mm, was mm-hmm. a PDA that ran the Palm OS. Uh, and the cool thing about the handspring visor was it had a little slot at the back that was like a looked like a Game Boy cartridge slot where you could put in different modules that would add other capabilities. And one of the modules, which I never got around to getting because it was too expensive, was essentially a cellular radio that turned your your device into a you know a PDA that could access the net from anywhere. And that was incredible because the idea that you could have in your hand a device that would connect to networks and and let you do all these things online was just incredible. And of course, now we all have that and it's so much better <laughs> than that terrible handspring visor with its stylus that I kept losing and its graffiti language that you had to learn and black and white display uh and yeah, that that was just a terrible terrible device but i thought it was so so cool at the time so i remember um being on the phone with gateway computer oh yeah building a computer Mm -hmm. um because i lived in a very rural area and so going in to buy things in the late 90s was not a possibility for me and i remember we were configuring it and the the representative i was with whom i was talking was like we're going to put 
like a 2.2 gigabyte hard drive in this. And that's all you're ever <laughs> going to need. That's all you're ever going to need. And then several later, several years later um, in college, saving money to buy a 512 um, megabyte flash uh, USB stick, saving money because it was so expensive. And now they put them like in the little candy bowls at Office <laughs> Depot on the counter. Like you can just buy like a dozen 16 gigabyte sticks for like 53 cents. Um, it just it blows my mind how big hard drives and SSDs are now. Uh, for me, I think back to a time when for Christmas I asked for something called a juice box. Um, no, it wasn't, bell. <laughs> it wasn't apple juice or anything like that. Um, it was this clunky, uh, like cassette player sized device that had a screen and a place for you to stick cartridges in and you could buy the cartridges at the store and uh slap them into the juice box and then i think at the time i would have been watching like spongebob on the juice box so it was like a portable dvd player with a screen except it was very proprietary the screen was low quality the batteries ran out very quickly the speakers weren't great i mean it was in all and every part uh just what it could be at the time but these days i probably have higher resolution i'm sure i have higher resolution on the watch that's on my wrist and <laughs> it's just bizarre to me that i've got this super thin uh large tablet thing that i can tap and watch anything I want to. I don't have to go and buy some cartridges for it. It's just bizarre that we live in this world and so cool. And I'm so grateful. And tech is awesome. You know, uh, it's funny because each of you have stories that I feel like relate to my childhood. You know, I had a, uh, and I just kind of brought this up on ATP the other day. I had a Toshiba, I think it was an E740, which was a uh, Windows PDA. Oh, the pocket PC. That had I know, I'm sorry, oh, that man. had uh, Wi-Fi built in, which at the time was revolutionary. And I put an IBM micro drive within it, which is one of those drives that ran mm -hmm. the early iPods. And so I basically had an iPod because I had, you know, a gig micro drive in this thing, which probably cost 11 gazillion dollars. <laughs> but um, it was super cool. I remember vehemently arguing with my great uncle once that he had just he was a like a graduate student. He had just bought a computer that had a gigabyte hard drive. And this was maybe the early to mid 90s and i remember telling him there is no possible way any human being could use a gigabyte of space it is <laughs> impossible <laughs> you could not do it all of these technologies were earth shattering when they were new and are just hilariously bad now makes you wonder what are we going to laugh at in five or ten years probably this episode um <laughs> <laughs> that is four topics down we have just enough time for a bonus topic and this week we have a sponsor for the bonus topic which micah is going to tell you all about Yes, this week's bonus topic is brought to you by ExpressVPN. We have seen a lot in the media lately about online security breaches. So it's natural you are worried about where your data goes, especially when something as simple as sending an email can put your private information at risk. Well, chances are you are being tracked by different things online, be it social media sites and marketing companies. And for some of us who don't read the privacy policies of our internet providers, perhaps even them. Not only can they record your browsing history, they can sell it to folks who collect your data 
and sell it to others. Well, you can take back your privacy with ExpressVPN. It works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. It encrypts your data and hides your public IP addresses. And you can turn on ExpressVPN protection with just one click. They've got easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, or your tablet, and costs less than $7 a month. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It'll also help you when you inevitably have to use public Wi-Fi, like at a hotel or somewhere else. I was lucky enough to get to try ExpressVPN. And one of the cool things about it is that it's literally across all of your devices. So I was able to download it on my Mac. I was able to get it on my iPhone, iPad, etc. And I could just flip a little switch and suddenly I was cruising anonymously, which was super awesome. So protect your online activity today by going to expressvpn.com slash clockwise. You don't want your online history in the hands of your internet provider or data resellers. ExpressVPN is the answer. Go to expressvpn.com slash clockwise to get three months free with a one-year package. Once again, that's expressvpn.com slash clockwise for three extra months free with a one-year package. Thanks so much to ExpressVPN for their support of Clockwise and all of Relay FM. Dan, hit us with that bonus topic. All right. It is February 13th. So, of course, my question for you is Valentine's Day, a romantic celebration, or crass commercialism? Why not both? Um, but it doesn't have to be <laughs> crassly commercial. If you don't want it to be, just don't buy into it and have fun with your sweetie. Boom. Same answer. Have fun with your doggos and your cattos and, and your SOs and all your O's. Well, I guess I'll be the Grinch of all of us. Uh, definitely a corporate holiday, and I will accept no arguments to the contrary. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always a good excuse to eat chocolate. That's my feeling on that. Uh, good point. Good point. All right. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guests, Aline Sims. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, friend. Oh, and Casey Liss, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, pals. <laughs> <laughs> Most especially, thank you all out there for listening. And we remind you, until next time, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>